What's up, my self-improvement people? It's Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Here we are, and do we have a good one today? It is time for a self-improvement sit-down. In these interviews, we take a deeper look into the minds of experts. Experts who share their unique experience and provide a perspective there's no way we could cover in only two minutes. However, of course, if you enjoy the two-minute personal development tips we share every weekday, then take a breath and wait until tomorrow because the tips will keep coming. But for now, it's time for self-improvement sit-down number 12, and I'm speaking with our guest, Miss Kyla Coogan. And we are live. Today's guest is a rising star. Her name is Kyla Coogan, and she is pioneering a movement in the LGBTQT plus community. Kyla discovered she was gay when she was in third grade and hid who she was for 14 years, going through major bouts of depression, developing an anxiety disorder, and never asking anyone for help. However, after a 10-year self-discovery journey, she has found herself at the other end and she is empowering other members of the LGBTQT community to come alive, speak their truth, and make the difference that they're here to make in this world. Kyla, it is an honor to have you on today. I'm so excited, Brian. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am I'm extra excited to have you on as well because I actually get to have answers to questions that I haven't gotten to ask you yet. So this is a perfect opportunity. Um, so let's just get right to it. Uh, you hid the way you felt for 14 years. That's unbelievable. Um, and I'm trying to do the math right now. That takes you toward the end of college or kind of around that time frame. But I guess um, I'm just curious to know what's your coming out story and how did that feel and what does that mean to you today? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I knew I was gay when I was in third grade and I didn't come out until after college. Mm. So I, my brother's gay, my uncle's gay, and mm. my my brother actually came out in high school. And I remember when he came out, I still didn't have the courage to do it myself. And I think a huge reason why was because I was seeing what was happening in his life. He was being bullied. Kids were following him home from school. And mm. There were times when he would literally run into a Starbucks bathroom um, because kids were following him home. And he actually was going to attempt suicide. And my mom came home um, and he didn't go through with it. And I think when I, I, I'm three years older than him. And I think I, I saw what was happening to him and and I also, I also felt scared of the backlash that would happen to me if I came out. So I just kept waiting and I got into a relationship in college and it was with a guy and he's an amazing, amazing human being. And we had an amazing friendship, but it was so hard for me because I knew and I couldn't tell him. Mm. I just couldn't get myself to tell him. And it was because I was scared of what would happen to our friendships and what would happen to me in society. So I waited until I graduated college to come out and, um, were you still dating him? 
No, so I broke up with him before we graduated, but I didn't tell him the truth. Like I didn't tell him wh really why. Right. Okay. I waited, I waited a couple months and I wrote him a letter and we had a phone call and it was a really intense conversation, but he ended up being really respectful and uh, he's still a friend of mine now. Um, but, Good. you know, I, I think my coming out story is, you know, I waited until I was about 23 years old and I, even after I came out, I didn't necessarily feel alive. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had some, some relief after I came out, but there was still something inside me that, that didn't really feel complete. And, and I didn't discover that for <laughs> years after that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So then what happened? So the moment where you decided kind of, you were just holding this in for so long, but was there kind of a flip of a switch where you're like, this is something I've got to do for myself or, or when, when did you make that decision to kind of release all of that? Well, I decided to come out. I, I knew at the end of college that it was like a for sure thing. It was like, okay, I can't deny this anymore. Like I, I know for a fact, so it's time. And, and so that's why mm. once I, once I, I made the decision, I, I did it. And then you know, it was about two years after that, that I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And when I was diagnosed with anxiety, I went on this path for years to try and really have clarity and relief from that because it was, it was horrible. Like I was having panic attacks pretty much every day for years and, and thinking about suicide and I, that was after I came out. So I think a lot of people talk about coming out as like when, when, when the LGBT community feels this sense of relief that they're complete, that they can be themselves. But for me, I did have some relief, but there was still something I was seeking. I didn't feel fulfilled in my life. And, and so that's when I went on my, my journey, what I would call this path of self-discovery to really for me, I call it coming alive. It's like, I feel like I went from being afraid of coming out to coming alive. Mm. And there's a difference between the two. That's amazing. Yes. I mean, that obviously that's, I mean, I'm heterosexual, so that's not something I've experienced, but that's a very interesting way to think about it because yeah, you're right. The perception is that this is this big moment. It's, it's different from that moment on, but it sounds like there's a purpose and kind of a, a second calibration period after coming out where you have to really find your identity. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm admitting this identity and now it's time to step into it and really figure out what that means for myself. That's super powerful. And I think a great piece for a lot of people to understand. Mm. Let's, let's go back a little bit into your childhood because I didn't realize this, but it sounds like a lot of your resistance to, uh, I guess, sharing that you were gay was out of fear and seeing what happened to your brother. I mean, I think that's really powerful. And that fear kept you from acting like yourself. Did you experience any moments, I guess, when watching your brother or when considering for yourself how to, I don't know, stand up for yourself and kind of really step into your own? Did you feel any real moments of fear that maybe delayed that process? You know, was there something in your childhood that was extremely impactful in that way? I think ultimately for me, I just, I, it was more confusing as a kid. Like I just felt, it was like, mm -hmm. it was, to me, I understood that there was, I had a sexual attraction to women, but I, 
I felt like it was wrong. And I felt like some, like, I felt like something was wrong with me for thinking that. Hmm. And, and that it would change. Yeah. And that it would change. And I would just try to deny it. So I just tried to stay busy. So I was always gotcha. striving for, you know, straight A's in school and to be the best athlete. And so I just tried to keep busy in that way and just almost deny the like thoughts and feelings that were coming in about it. So I just, hmm. I didn't talk to anyone about it. And I remember when I was in, uh, yeah, when I was in third grade or second grade, I asked my mom if she would cut my hair short. And at the time I, I said, you know, I, I wanted my hair cut short like a boy because I didn't want to have to do my hair anymore. Like I just wanted it to be easy. It wasn't even about like, I wanted to look like a boy. It was like, I just don't want to do my hair anymore. Yeah, so just not interested. Yeah, like, I just don't want to do my hair anymore. I just want my life to be easier. So she told me, okay, in a year, if you still want your hair cut like that, I'll do it. And so I, a year later I did, and she, she cut my hair. And what was interesting was that, you know, I, I dressed like a tomboy, if you want to put a label to it. And I had short hair and I just remember I, again, I didn't do it to look like a boy, but it, it just kind of happened that way. And then I, I felt so different from everybody else. Like I, I, was, I felt like I was just trying to be myself, you know, like play sports with the guys and, and wear these clothes that I guess were considered more boyish. And, and it was, for me, it was just, I wanted to be myself, but I looked on campus and I didn't see other girls that looked like me. And I think I just tried to deny that there was something like that there was something wrong with me. There was something different about me. And so I just tried to hide it. And then I actually went through this really like awkward phase where when my hair was growing out from being short to putting in a ponytail, I was so traumatized that once it got into a ponytail, I no joke for about two and a half years. I refused to wear my hair down. So I was like known on campus for only wearing my hair in a ponytail and kids would threaten to like cut my hair because they wanted to see what I actually looked like with my hair down. And so I became super self-conscious about the way I looked like, and it was just about like hair, but it turned into something so much bigger than that. Yeah. And that's such a impactful period of your life too. When you start really identifying and coming into your own kind of realizing who you are as a person, then you realize that there are so many different opinions and that now you're answering to other people's expectations and just with hormones and puberty like that is just a very difficult time to navigate in itself, let alone this added dimension of being misunderstood. Mm -hmm. So no, I, I think, I think that really does paint the picture for what I'd love to talk about next, which is you coming alive. So you do come out, you do come alive and you go on this 10 year self-discovery process. It's an amazing transformation. I imagine. Can you, can you describe what that was like, you know, what did you try? Did you feel like you're making progress? You know, how did you measure it? You know, kind of what, what was that like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would say since I was a little kid, I've, I've always been striving to reach my potential. Like I, in college, I studied kinesiology and it was all about, you know, human performance and so I was always interested in, in how I could reach my potential. And I, along my journey, when I was diagnosed with anxiety, especially, I, I felt like I kept trying so many different modalities and nothing was working. Like 
I would have maybe like short-term relief from the anxiety, maybe like a couple days here and there, and then it would come back and hit me even harder. And it felt like I was going to have it for the rest of my life. Like I truly believed that I was going to have an anxiety disorder for the rest of my life. And that's when I started thinking about suicide. And it was, it was this like this profound belief inside myself, but then it was a belief that it was going to be there for the rest of my life. But there was also an underlying belief that that wasn't true. And, and that underlying belief that it wasn't true is what drove me that I knew that there was something more that I was seeking and I didn't know what I was seeking, but there was something like some understanding that I was seeking. And so I tried cognitive behavioral therapy for probably like four years. Um, and this isn't to say like there's anything wrong with that path. Um, for me personally, I, I tried it. And again, it was just short term relief for a couple days and then everything would come back. And I was reading every book you could imagine about anxiety, listening to podcasts about anxiety. Like I was studying this stuff. And what I found was that digging into my past and trauma just felt like a never ending journey. And it felt like I would, that wasn't the solution for me. I just, I, I literally felt like for 30 years of my life, if I'm going to go back to all the trauma and my past experiences. I could be working on the, that for the rest of my life. Like I'm never going to have relief. So I actually, I feel like I got kind of lucky along the process because for about 10 years, most of the things I was trying weren't working. And, and along the journey, I found something that is my moment essentially where I feel like I came alive. And I, along the journey, I didn't believe that it, it took a moment. Like I, I thought that it was going to take years and years of work, but for me, my transformations have happened in moments. Hmm. Do you think those moments are only accessed because you did the work for so much time? Or do you genuinely believe that it was just kind of an on and off switch where it's like you found it and it was done? Well, so for me, I, I got, I got kind of lucky along the process because I met someone, I met my, who's my coach right now. And I went through his his three day experience, and actually, I think I, with all the work that I did, it led me to that point. So like everything led me to get to there. But like for example, I went to San Diego State for undergrad, and I left for grad school in San Francisco. So I was I left San Diego for several years and came back, and I and my transformation happened here. So even going to college 10 years ago and where I'm at now, like it, to me, it all is, it all ties together. Like I have no doubt that whatever I went through somehow, there's some trickle down effect of where, why I'm here right now in this moment. Of course. Um, but the three day experience I did with my coach is what, what shifted everything for me. And it was, it was actually a, like a moment and, and many moments um, within that three-day experience. And since then, that has, has created the transformation and what I would call my coming alive story. <laughs> awesome. So what would you say to someone else who is spinning their wheels like you were for so many years? And you know that that moment of coming alive is just around the corner. What would you say to that person that might be discouraged in their path? What What was your mentality shift that helped you access that? Mm, that's such a good question. So 
So for me, where my transformation happened was, was actually, it's what I teach now. And it's actually pretty simple. So what I, what I teach, uh, they're called the three principles and they're mind, thought, and consciousness. And the three principles were first discovered by a philosopher. His name is Sidney Banks. And this is essentially what Sidney Banks saw when he went through his spiritual awakening. And now thousands of practitioners are teaching around the world. It has given me this sense of, of clarity and peace of mind because simply understanding those principles has taught me where my experience is coming from. So for me, all that was really happening was I wasn't understanding where my experience was coming from. And I had a like really bad relationship to my thoughts. Okay. Right. Like I had a, I was terrified of my thoughts. I was terrified of my feelings. So I was having anxiety about anxiety. I was, I was scared of the feelings that I was having and the, the suicidal thoughts that I was having. And so when I, when I discovered the, the three principles of mind, thought, consciousness, and, I, and I'm deepening my understanding in that, what's naturally happening is I have a more clear mind and I have this sense of clarity, peace, and love within myself that I've discovered. And it's been like, it's honestly been shocking me. Like even more every day, I, I, I understand more and more about the principles and and it's not only like been a game changer in my life, but also with my clients' lives. And my coach has been coaching for 25 years. And I was at his house last night and witnessing transformations happen. So um, for me, I think it's actually the simplicity of, of people understanding how the mind works and where their experience is coming from. And from that simple understanding, they there's actually a shift that happens mentally where they have this sense of clarity and peace of mind. That is super, super interesting because I'm trying to connect the dots right now and I'm sure you've made these connections too. But what I've heard is that, okay, so there are these principles. You have to figure out where your experience comes from and that's what the principles help you to do. And what you realize is that you were scared of your thoughts. And then that in my mind also relates back to how you were scared of the truth and you were questioning the truth throughout your life, both in your anxiety and in your homosexuality. I think there's such an interesting, intricate puzzle of how all of those things come together to kind of create this large coming out being like, oh, now it all clicks. That's how it all came together. Oh, interesting. You, you are onto something. <laughs> okay. And then, and here's a question. And I, I actually want to preface this because in high school, I used to have a note in my phone and anytime that I saw someone with a tattoo, I'd walk up to them and I'd say, Hey, what's the tattoo about? Because I figured if you're going to put something on your body for the rest of your life, it must mean a lot to you. And if it means a lot to you, then I want to learn about it. So I had this note, unfortunately deleted, but you have a tattoo that I have been very interested to learn more about. I've asked you about it before, but it says, I love you way up past the sky, way up past the stars to the moon. And it's beautiful. And I'm kind of, I'm curious to know now that you've gone through this journey and this transformation, when did you get that tattoo? And what did it mean then versus what does it mean now? Mm-hmm. Good question. <laughs> so, yeah. So the tattoo I got, I believe I got it in college. And the tattoo is a saying that my mom used to tell me and my brother before I went to bed. 
And it was a message that clearly stuck with us. And my brother got it tattooed as well on his arm. Oh, wow. And I, I got it on my back because she's always had my back. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. I got it, you know, I got it because it was something that she said that resonated with us. But it's funny even reflecting right now. It's so symbolic of where I'm at in my life because I feel like growing up, most of my life, I was actually afraid to tell people that I loved them. Like I really didn't tell my parents and my family that often that I loved them. And now pretty much every day I tell people how much I love them. Like I tell someone that I just met that I love them. Mm-hmm. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's it, because I feel like that's what really woke up inside of me is when I came alive and I discovered this deeper feeling inside my body, which is this like warm amazing sensation and to me i would describe it as love i see it as as love as the it is the language of the universe like it is the language of the universe and to me love is the only thing that is actually real and true in the world and so i'm more free to tell people i love them more than ever and i've literally told someone on the street walking by me that I love them. And I, I, I don't even know them. Right. Like I'm just, I just, I'm in a place in my life where I'm spreading love and I'm being love in as, as many moments as I possibly can be to just be love. And I think that has come from you learning to love yourself. You know, it's kind of filling up your own bucket before you can fill up anyone else's. I actually, (laughs) I haven't had that reflection, but I also, in probably the last year, I've gotten way more, way more okay with that same thing that you're talking about of just, I love you because I feel it in this moment. And it has, for whatever reason, this stigma of like, oh, what is, what does that actually mean? What are your intentions? You know, and even like, if you go back to high school, like texting someone a heart, like, oh, like you texted them a heart, you know, it's like for, for whatever reason, love has such an interesting, like the word love has such an interesting relationship and how it weaves in our lives. And and I didn't realize that, but I have gotten so much more comfortable telling people that I love them. And I think it's similar because in the last year, I've come to love myself a lot more too. So it's very, very interesting that you have made that transformation. You made me question myself, um, which I love. That's why That's why we talk. It's awesome. All right. So now we are delivered. We are on this path of love, which is beautiful, um, but we're not stopping there. So you are becoming a leader in the LGBTQT space and you're going to lead a movement. You feel like that's your calling is to really start a movement. And I just want to know, can you tell us about the state of the LGBTQT community and why action is so urgent right now? Yes, it is so needed right now. So what, what I'm, what I'm, I was actually double checking statistics even before we we got on this call and it's it's blowing my mind it's it's disgusting really looking at these statistics so what what is happening right now in when we look at even the homeless population in the United States if I'm talking specifically United States we have about a 1.6 million homeless youth in the United States right now, and 40% of them are with, are identify as LGBTQ. 
And that, that means that's about 600,000 youth that are currently homeless. And the reason that they're homeless is because they have had family rejection. So their family has rejected them for their identity and they have either run away or their parents have, their family has made them leave their home or they've dealt with some kind of social, emotional or physical abuse. And, and so what I see just by looking at that alone, that tells me that we not only have an issue with, with youth having to flee that can't be themselves, and we have an issue with parents and families. So it's, it's, it goes on both ends. So for me, I see a movement that needs to happen where there's parents and families that are being educated on how to have meaningful conversations with their, their kids that are identifying within the LGBT community. And I also see a, still a need for a shift in perspective for individuals who feel homophobic. And I see a huge need for, for especially youth who feel called to make a difference in the world, who are identifying within the LGBT community, but they feel like they can't truly be themselves they're not going to be able to make the difference they're here to make in the world and be the leader that they're here to be if they can't be themselves. So for me, what I've woken up to this year is that, you know, I'm here to lead this movement. And it's been the reason I know I'm here to do this movement is I'm literally having people off the street tell me like I've had five people this year. No joke. Five people this year that I did not know that came have come up to me. And they have told me almost the exact same message. One in particular that I'm not kidding. I'm at a coffee shop in Encinitas at Better Buzz. And I'm, I'm writing down my mission and my vision. And I'm feeling super stuck. I just cannot get clear on exactly what it is. So I go outside. I'm stretching outside. And I decide to go sit in the backseat of my car. I forget what I was getting. But I went in my car to get something. And... While I'm in the back of my car, somebody knocks on the door of my car and I get out and there's this guy standing there and he's like, hey, I was just jogging by and I saw you outside and it looked like you were a little bit like you were um, thinking about something. And, and I want to tell you, I have a message for you. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he goes, no joke. He's like, right now you're working on your mission and your vision and you're feeling stuck. And, and I want you to know that you're here to make a difference for youth. And you might have youth that hit on you, that you because you make them feel so comfortable. And I'm literally looking at him, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'm like, he's like, is that, what ha is that what's happening? And I'm like, I literally was just working on my mission and my vision. Like, I was just writing it down. And this guy stopped me. So anyways, my point is, I am listening to what I feel, what I want to call the universe is telling me to do, which is I also what I also feel called to do, which is lead this movement. And it is to really help young queer leaders come alive so they can truly be themselves and make the difference they're here to make in the world. And in that process, my hope is that those kids go on, use their gifts, their purpose, their mission to make a difference in the world. And we indirectly impact the parents and the individuals who might be homophobic and resistant to 
understanding the community because that's where we really need to make impact. That is such a great explanation. I'm going to listen to that a few times because I, I feel like I'm an educated member of society and I had no idea that there was an issue that big within the LGBTQT community. That's, uh, that's powerful. And it's something that, you know, if you talk about problem solution, you're being called by so many people and within yourself, but also by so many people to be the leader and you are the woman for the job. That is super exciting. I'm glad that you have that clarity now. So, so tell us, tell us about it because you are a woman on a mission. How can people get involved working with you and supporting you and learning more about you? Yes, I would love to connect if my message resonates with you and you feel called to reach out. Please reach out. Um, you can reach me on my website. My name is spelled a little funky. <laughs> my first name <laughs> is, is spelled C-U-Y-L-A. And my last name is Coogan, C-O-O-G-A-N. And you can find me at kylacoogan.com. I am working on releasing a free course, and that should be out by the time this airs. So um, yeah, if you want to reach me on my website, it's kylacoogan.com. And then you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook at Kyla Coogan. Beautiful. So normally, Kyla, the way that I wrap these up is with a takeaway of what really stood out from the conversation, but I'm doing something different because I think I just have a question that I want answered that I think serves as a really good takeaway. Whew, okay. What would you tell someone gay or otherwise who is struggling with accepting themselves for who they are? Hmm. What I tell them, honestly, for me, it's more, I would want to listen to them. Mm. I would want to, I would want to listen to where they're at in their life. I would want to listen to what they're going through because what I'm finding is just simply like people call it holding space, but simply listening to where they're at and what they're going through, like, and actually being fully present to that conversation is where the individual feels heard and they feel understood and I, I think ultimately it's a matter of them, you know, knowing that they're not alone, you know, they're, they're certainly not alone in whatever that it is that they're going through. And, and for me, letting them know that I see them and that I am them and that I understand them because I am them. Like I, I might not have been through the exact same experiences that they've been through, but we all can relate on some level to as well, at least for me hiding, right? Like hiding who I really am and hiding my truth. I can relate on that level. So just to be able to like, I, hopefully I would be with them in person to look them in the eyes and, 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 and be present to them to hear what they're going through and, and to let them see that I see them and that they're not alone in what they're going through. And furthermore, something that you have a knack for is showing them that you love them, just like you were talking about, because maybe that's all they're looking for too, is just someone, like you said, who understands, but also accepts. And that's, that's exactly what you can offer. And gosh, I'm inspired. We took it all the way through um, from your childhood to your transformation and now to your mission. It's going to be a wild ride and I can't wait to watch it unfold. Um, Kyla, thank you so much for taking the time to be on today. You are an absolute rock star. And I'm going to be watching closely. Thanks so much, Brian. It's been 
such an honor and a privilege to be on this with you. I'm so freaking grateful for you. Seriously. Love you, Kyla. Isn't she great? I really wanted to share her story because her journey of growth and acceptance is no different than yours or mine. Only a year ago, she was lost and waiting for her moment, and now she's leading a movement. I really appreciated how she opened up about her childhood. I feel like it painted the picture to understand the transformation that she underwent. And her mission? What a noble and underserved cause. And love. We all could use a little more of it. And just take a moment to make sure that the important people in your life know that you love them today. If anything in this episode stood out to you or you want to get in touch with Kyla, you can visit her at her website, kylacoogan.com. And that is Kyla, C-U-Y-L-A, Coogan, C-O-O-G-A-N.com. If you liked this episode as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and also write a review if you feel so inclined. I appreciate you so, so much and thank you for all of the support and inspiration. I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.